Hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning into Geek Down, the podcast where two nerds sit down and try and find out where their fandoms intersect. My name is Caitlin McKinnon. My name is Jordan Ferguson. That was really loud. And this is episode 16. Episode 16. Episode 16. Oh, no, I did it. Oh, I've been so good. I'm <laughs> not <singing>. repeating it. <sighs> there are so many ways you can listen to Geek Down, first and foremost, of which are soundcloud.com slash geekdownpod. You can follow us on there. You will get a notification every time a new episode goes up, as well iTunes every Tuesday if you search us out, top right-hand corner, search Geek Down, hit subscribe, new episodes, directly downloaded to your device. Which is so easy. Every Tuesday, as soon as they are available. So easy. Oh, oh, I can do this part. Okay. Okay. Also, you can join the conversation with us on social media. We have got a Twitter. At GeekDownPod. Uh, we have got a uh, webpage on Tumblr. GeekDownPod.tumblr.com. And, of course, Facebook. Facebook.com slash GeekDownPod. Yeah. And, basically, we're having a, a grand old time on the Facebook page if you want to join us. Beef season appears to have, have calmed... Uh, hashtag what was it? Friendship. Team, team friendship. Team friendship. There we go. Hashtag team friendship. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that Kaim and I came to any resolution there. I was just kind of like ducking out. I was like, eh, this is not gonna not gonna change my mind. I'm not gonna change his. So, right, but it's nice that people can have a conversation without you know, you know, getting down to racial slurs and you know <laughs> homophobia. That's always good. I'm sure Kaim had a draft where he called me a white devil. So TCAF was this weekend. It was. And you know who wasn't a TCAF? The Geek Down Podcast. <laughs> we did attempt, but I... We had such grand grand plans, oh, grand friends. Plans. We were going to go. Caitlin was going to buy some vaginas. I was going to... Legitimately. I was going to bully Brian K. Vaughn into listening to this show. <laughs> um, so many plans. Uh, but I ate bacon-wrapped... Oh, what was that? Not oysters. Bacon-wrapped... Scallops. Ah, and I still shellfish. Really shouldn't have. <laughs> I ate way too many, and I got really, really ill. Really ill. Yeah. So the plan was, I got off work at six thirty a.m. on Saturday. I came home. I crashed immediately to try to milk as much sleep as possible. Woke up to take a leak at like eleven a.m. saw t- saw text from Caitlin saying that she was dying. I was. And I'm not gonna lie, friends. Kind of a little relieved. My eyes were on fire as I was reading. <laughs> The text. I was like, well, that's good. <laughs> and Woke I up also... again at like two and some people were like texting me like, are you coming to TCAF? I'm like, at this point, by the time I get ready, it's over by the time I get yeah. down there. so I don't know why it ends so early on a Saturday. Because it's Toronto and nothing makes sense. stays open past six o'clock in this city. No, that's Hamilton. <laughs> oh, sorry. Toronto's seven because we're like a major metropolitan area. I swear to God, you know, Toronto wants to be a world-class city, but God forbid you need, want to, like, continue shopping past, you know, 7 p.m. on a Saturday. Gorgeous, you know, spring Saturday. So it's not happening. Someone is no. naked across the way. What? Where? Dead center, toweling himself. Are you not seeing this? No. Straight at him. Yeah, might not be totally naked. Oh, he just left. Oh, man. <laughs> Sorry. I gotta get my kick somehow. Living in the peach trees. <laughs> So, yeah, we didn't make it to TCAF. Really sorry. We got to, well, Jordan got to see someone naked just a second ago. So this is a, a roundup of the week. Catch our jollies where we can. Yeah. Uh, but you're feeling better now. I'm feeling much better. I actually got to eat solid food this morning. So. Excellent. Solid yeah. foods. I love solids. <laughs> yeah. I really was in so much pain and I was exhausted. I was up all night being sick and yeah, that's just don't 
eat bacon wrapped scallops. I have Don't do that. never had food poisoning. I've had it several times. Actually, maybe I have. I don't know. I had something afflicted my entire family at Christmas a couple years ago. Yeah. Suspect it might have been like my mom took the leftover turkey and made some soup. Huh. We think that something might have happened there. I mean, we all had the turkey like the day before, but apparently something alchemical in the soup creation. Or it could have been a virus. Like, I had to reschedule my train because I was not going to make it on a four-hour train ride without shitting my pants it's wonderful i'm glad you've you've painted such a lovely picture and by the time i did like get it together enough to at least you know not have to miss any more time of work or not keep paying cancellation fees on my train ticket i wasn't shitting my pants so much as just gassy all the time (laughs) and that poor girl on the seat next to me who i'm sure just felt the rumblings that's wonderful why it was sick. We don't have to talk because we're about- friends, Caitlin, and we discuss everything. Uh, I wish we weren't. How dare <laughs> you? No, I I like discussing most things, not everything though. <laughs> um, but anyways, yes, I was sick. I feel much better. I got to eat solid food. I'm really excited about it because it consisted of pancakes. And uh, hopefully next year. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully next year. Yeah. Uh, if you went, tell us all about it on any of our social medias. We are interested to hear. If it was a good time or not. And if anyone got a vagina mold, if you, I'm really jealous. If you bought a vagina, Kaylin's very disappointed. I bet that she didn't. So tag us on Twitter. Let us see your vaginas. <laughs> That's not. Nope. No. Please, no. <laughs> Want to talk about some news? Sure. Uh, At first, when I came in, I was like, well, there's no news. And then you read your list, and I read my list, and I was like, actually, there is some news. Uh, I'm going to start off with the... Worst news, probably, uh, the passing of comic creator Darwin Cook. It was announced like on Friday night, uh, his family released a statement that he was hit, entered palliative care, which is basically means end of life care, uh, for an aggressive form of cancer. And by Saturday afternoon, they announced that he had passed. Uh, this is really sad. Darwin Cook was fantastic. Are you familiar with his work much at all? Uh, a little bit, yeah. He didn't come up, I don't think, and forgive me, I haven't done, like, exhaustive research on this. It's my understanding he did not come up in, like, a comic book, like, sequential sort of field. I know he did storyboards on Batman the Animated Series. He was when he Canadian, was coming up, wasn't he? He was Canadian. And I was reading tweets from people about how, like, he considered himself more of a cartoonist, which is, like, a dirty word in, you know, the sequential art comic book community. And right. he tried to, like stake a path for all the cartoonists of the world. Very much responsible for the more sophisticated look of Catwoman with the zipped up bodysuit and the goggles and and things like that. Um, The pixie cut Selena Kyle look. Had a real classic look, um, which I had gotten into numerous fights with people over the years where like, everyone looks like Cary Grant. He draws everybody to look the same. I was like, yeah, who cares if he does? Number one, that's not true. Number two, even if it is, that's awesome. (sighs) He is probably best known for a mammoth work he did. It's called uh, DC The New Frontier, which is set kind of between the Golden and Silver Age, as like the Silver Age of DC superheroes right. started coming to be, and the Justice League was formed. And it's just really so layered, and the threads and like the annotations that are involved there. It's just a really deep dive into that like classic DC era. And you want to know why he was most notable? Why? Happy superheroes. Yeah. Everyone's just kind of happy. 
classic feel good nice. super heroics. Which I mean, God, we don't like that anymore, basically. <laughs> but DC, take your take your lessons from that. But yeah, searching the hashtag on Twitter for his name has just been kind of overwhelming, just with the stories that people have uh, uh, told about him and the artwork that they're posting. It's kind of been kind of been amazing. I couldn't really deal with it after a solid forty five minutes. I don't know. It kind of affected me like in some ways as much as when Prince passed, like just because it was like so unexpected, and I did like. Even though I hadn't thought about him for a while, he was kind of at that point in his career where he had done his work for hire phase. Yeah. And then he was off, like, illustrating um, graphic adaptations of these, uh, like, classic detective novels, noir detective novels, which is, like, perfectly in his wheelhouse. 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 Um, But, yeah, just really, really sad. Gail Simone, uh, who I adore, told a very fun story about how, I guess when the new frontier came out, it didn't really set the world on fire like some people thought it would. It wasn't right. until much later when people saw what he was doing. Like the first issue didn't really do it, and she was like the only pro that like, and she was a new pro at that point. But she was the only one who hopped out in front and be like, "This is amazing! Like you need to get on this." And Darwin Cook sent her a note and told her how touched he was by that. Fast forward to when they are uh, at a, at a Wizard World convention, both of them for the first time, and he comes up with this giant portfolio and as a thank thank you note for her. He's like, you can have either a Black Canary sketch, like a giant Black Canary sketch <laughs> that I've done for you where she like looks like Lana Turner and it's like right. gorgeous, or any page of New Frontier. Oh. But you have to choose Yale. <laughs> you can't have both. <laughs> you can't have both. That's <laughs> such a hard decision. She's like, I'm a grown woman and I couldn't even like, you know, come to this decision. Uh, ultimately, she chose the Black Canary sketch. I was going to say, I hope so. Because he made that for her and the New Frontier was for like everyone. Um, and... You know, he didn't seem uncomplicated. No person is uncomplicated. Um, people have, descri- you know, a lot of, some people described him uh, as being very similar to the drum teacher in Whiplash. Like, oh, if he saw potential, he didn't suffer fools gladly. If he saw potential in you, he would <laughs> borderline beat it out of <laughs> you sometimes. Um, I know Cameron Stewart on Twitter told a story about how they kind of had a falling out because they shared a studio together for a while. And sometimes they would rub each other the wrong way, and sometimes they wouldn't talk for years, and sometimes, and that's kind of where they were at when he passed, and, you know, just make amends with people while you can, I guess. So, go out and buy The New Frontier if you've never read it. It's fantastic. Go out and buy his, he didn't do a lot of work for Marvel. He had a couple of, like, X-Force slash Ecstatics books. I think he had, like, a Wolverine dupe team-up book that he did (laughs) um, during the New Marvel era. He did a vulture story in the spider-man tangle web anthology series and uh the early catwoman books or a book called batman ego which was a graphic novel that he did all super awesome but definitely yeah if you've never read the new frontier check that out it's i need to go out and buy a copy myself so i can reread it because all my singles are back home at my parents house in a giant box in a, in the gi- basement? In a giant box in the basement um but it's like a hefty read like it's like on par with Watchmen. like if you sit down to read that you're gonna be it's going to take your whole afternoon. But. Yeah. So sad news. Let's move on to happier news. Yeah. Okay. Uh, wait, which which is happier news? I've got mostly sad news here. <laughs> Do you have any happy news? Uh, happier-ish news. Uh, new studio Ghibli. I'm never going to pronounce it Ghibli. Is it supposed to be Ghibli? I think so. Really? I think that's technically how it's pronounced. Because oh. it, it's like a... It's, I God, the nerds are screaming. It's like an Arabic word for wind or something. Like that's where the word originates from. Oh, okay. We've all been pronouncing it Ghibli, Ghibli but years. I think if they like pronounce it, it's like Ghibli. Um, not not going to happen. It's a weird word. It sounds like Ghibli's, which is like what we used to call boobs when we were teenagers. <laughs> not going not to do that. Windsor was weird. <laughs> 
Anyways. Uh, so yeah, they have a new movie coming out, uh, which is like exciting, but at the same time, maybe not that exciting because it's it's not Miyazaki doing it. It's not uh, Ghibli is co-producing it. They don't really, which means you know they're just going to be handling like the animation and but sometimes, doing like the grunt work. Um, but sometimes the animation is a big, you know, it's a kind of a big part of the movie. Um, apparently, it, it will have no dialogue. What you saw in the trailer is like. In which Probably case, all the dialogue that will be in the entire movie. Well, what I was going to say, though, then, in which case, the animation is the most important thing. Yeah. So maybe it's good that they went to Ghibli. Um, yes, French. I think the director is French, The studio, but the studio is English, or he's English, and the, studio's, the other studio is French. Something like that. The main takeaway is we were all very worried about the future of Ghibli when it seemed like Miyazaki announced his retirement for the 75th time. Um <laughs> The last projects of him and Takahata and had come out, and it seemed like they were kind of slowing down, um, focusing more on like the museum and you know yeah. their intellectual properties and things like that. And there was wonder if we had seen the last Studio Ghibli productions, and that appears to not be the case. So that's that's good for us anime nerds. That's a very good, and for just nerds in general or fans of good movies. <laughs> Studio Ghibli goes beyond anime. It's just oh, yeah, good. Absolutely. It's on par with like Pixar and things of that sort if you've never seen a Studio Ghibli movie. Um, yeah, so that was news I enjoyed. What do you got? Um, actually, okay, I do kind of have news I enjoyed, but also because it was kind of absurd. <laughs> um, so it's the Bla- It's about the Black Panther movie, which is they've announced is going to be 90% black or African-American casting, which <laughs> is kind of like great but okay but we were expecting that would have been weird if it wasn't yeah well i mean i guess in some way you we a lot of people would have been like oh yeah like this is what they do to movies but particularly this movie i was like yeah i hope so but yeah so i mean i guess it's nice that that's the 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 fact that they're really they put this out there that they're for sure going to be doing this don't worry uh but still at the same same time it's kind of strange that they really felt they had to say it <laughs> i guess we do these, these, uh, yeah, it's these days better safe than sorry and maybe it says something about me that i was like of course that that's <laughs> definitely what you should be doing but you know i find it interesting i apparently because uh, the other news was that um michael b jordan has been cast for something yeah some people were saying the villain but i thought it was supposed to be that smuggler anyways and i you know he Ryan Coogler is, you know, we talked about a few weeks back about how Denzel has to be in like every Antoine Fuqua movie. I think <laughs> yeah. Michael B. Jordan has to be in every uh, Ryan Coogler movie. But actors have actors. I'm sure it will be fine. I do wonder. There's always this discussion with Marvel movies, especially and your or giant blockbusters, how you know you make a couple smaller movies and then the majors like call you up yeah. to handle one of their blockbusters, mm-hmm. and that's an entirely different skill set oh, involved yeah, absolutely and it makes me wonder like after creed ryan cooler it's kind of like can do whatever he wants now it yeah. seems weird that he would sign up for the potential insanity inducing stress of doing the black panther movie well, i think once you get some attention like that you you a need to sort of take any project you can to keep mm. the momentum going and b you want to be given more money to make bigger and better movies i would think as a director um and maybe the contract was really good 
And maybe he really loves Black Panther. And that, yeah, that's maybe it's just a thing where, like, be- better in my hands than someone else's. Yeah. So just it, the sense, again, I don't, you know, I know zero about making movies, but it seems like when you get on board with one of these sort of blockbusters, like, who's that dude who did Chronicle and then got pulled for Fantastic Four and lost his mind and, like, destroyed a house and, like, his career's, like, in shambles? I apparently never heard this story. You didn't hear this story? No. B, I don't know who you're talking about. No, yeah, the guy who directed Fantastic Four was a guy named Josh Trank who had done Chronicle before that, and he got Fantastic Four on the strength of Chronicle, but Chronicle was a very small type of found footage type movie, and now he's got to do this giant blockbuster with, like, six units of production and action scenes to be done and all that type of thing and he just like lost his mind basically they need more people like me (laughs) who are very organized (laughs) this is your official pitch to kevin feige (laughs) yeah to be be a a pa on on the next on black panther yeah well if you're listening kev we know you are get it caitlin (laughs) i would love to direct a movie or help (laughs) i'd love to help make a movie well, still, things things are looking good for the, sorry, what was the percentage? Or 90%? 90%. 90% African or African-American uh, Black or, Panther or, movie. I think it was African or black actors, because African can also, there could be some white African actors in there. You're so inclusive. What? I'm just saying, like, they didn't, sp- <laughs> anyways. Anyways. Have you seen Civil War yet? No, I haven't. Um, I haven't seen it because, A, first we were trying to avoid all the crowds, Yes, we hate people. <laughs> and then B, um, I kept on having to go to Zumba on days where, uh, you know, other people could go see the movie. We see where your loyalties lie in um, your life. I'm really sedentary, okay? Uh, if I'm going to sit and watch a movie for, what, what is it, two and a half hours? Oh, God, ridiculous? yes. It's like, yeah. Um, then I really need to justify doing that. So um, maybe probably early this week. I might go to the cheap Tuesday night because I'm kind of poor. And we know I haven't seen it because Mark Miller will not get my money. I'm sorry. I'll tell you all about it. <laughs> oh, no. I, I'll just. I'll, there are other ways. Oh, that's true. There are other there ways. There are other ways. Um, and it's available on the other ways. I already checked. <laughs> and sorry, just for more sort of Marvel news. Mm-hmm. Um Sad Marvel news. Sad Marvel news. Agent Carter has been canceled. Oh, yes. The first thing we ever talked about yeah. on Geek Down. And the first I, thing Caitlin ever brought me, I'm Agent not, Carter, which I'm, I liked quite a bit. I'm not surprised, but I am sad. I Th- thought it was doing all right. I thought it was doing better than Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, I don't know. I think Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. sort of picked up notoriety over the last year. Mm. Agent Carter, a little bit, but not as as much. The the weird thing is though, in the world of television, they've so they've cancelled Agent Carter, which is very, very sad. And something we actually haven't talked about, but I am a fan of or was a fan of, um, they've they've T V World has decided to continue making a show called Sleepy Hollow. Yeah, what's going on there? Okay, so I watched the first season and I really liked the first season. Mm-hmm. I have not seen the second season, have not seen the third season. I do know what goes on in the third season. Um, they've done something really kind of crazy, and so people can't really understand how they're making a fourth season of the show because it really sort of lost its way in terms of characters and character development. Because the um, thing I saw, and maybe yeah. 
this has to do with some trolling that may potential that I saw that may potentially spoil uh, Sleepy Hollow for any of you if oh. you've seen it. Oh, if we're going to talk about the big spoiler, then we have to be like massive big spoiler. Super massive big spoiler if you're ever going to watch Sleepy Hollow. Again, I don't even know if I'm about to spoil anything. I'm speculating based on the trolling I read on on social media. Yeah. So pause here. Jump ahead like three minutes, three to five minutes. So Sleepy Hollow is Ichabod Crane and someone else. Yes. A a black girl. Her name is Abby. Abby. Uh, has Abby been killed or left yeah. or something? So at the end of the third season. So apparently they kept on the first season. It's all about Abby. Yes. Basically. And yeah, Ichabod is there. But really the show is about the two of them. But mostly I think Abby. Apparently, throughout the second season and the third season, they started cutting her role down, and she was very upset about this, obviously. And at the end of the third season, I mean, she had decided because she was having these artistic differences um, and upset about the the treatment of her character, um, she decided to leave the show. So they killed her off, Mm -hmm. like super gruesomely, apparently. And a lot of people were just done. They just were like, nope. I'm never watching the show again. So it's weird that they're bringing this show back for a fourth season. Because the trolling I saw had people like trying to bait other people into like liking tweets that were like, finally, we can focus on Ichabod oh, and yeah. like things like that and trying to bait people into liking them so they could brand people as being racist. Well, it just it's it's sad that so many uh, female characters are sidelined for male characters. The same with. POC characters. Yeah. Um, they just get they get killed off, they get sidelined. Um, I remember once upon a time I was a little bit into watching Criminal Minds. Um, I really like show like crime shows. Mm. And they had this whole basically season where one of the characters I liked ended up falling in love with the girl. And like the first time they actually meet and like have a date, she gets murdered brutally. And I I was just like, okay, I'm out. I'm tapping out. Like, I can't do it anymore. And there's actually been a big talk about the kinds of characters that get... Caitlin, we've been over this. There is no better way to show that the world is awful or that someone's a bad person than by having something terrible happen to a woman. Yeah, basically. (sighs) Women in refrigerators. Yep. Um, So, yeah, people getting fridged all the time especially females and especially women of color getting fridged is just this awful trend women. Oh yeah. And then this is the worst one. If you happen to be gay and a woman and a person of color, Oh, you're, you're totally getting murdered. It's like absolutely going to happen. You better hope there's an opening on oranges of the new black. Cause that's about the only place you're going to be safe. And probably not even on that show. <laughs> even then it's dicey. Um, so yeah, so that's sort of the, there is sad news for women because both Agent Carter has been canceled and because Sleepy Hollow has been picked up for another season. <laughs> <laughs> Without its female lead of color. Yeah. Want to talk about a show that does a much better job on those things? Yeah. Steven Universe back. Yay! Uh, apparently, yeah. So five weeks, ten episodes. The first two aired last Thursday, May 12th. Uh, I checked them out. I worry that this will have what I call the Mad Men effect, where it's like I loved Mad Men when I was binging it, and then going week to week, I was kind of like, no. <laughs> I enjoyed the episodes. Right. Um, I've seen re- euphoric write-ups for them. I'm like, eh, not euphoric. Right. They were fine. It progressed the story. We dove right back in. 
the major cliffhanger from season two got dealt with. Excellent. Um, like immediately, two major cliffhangers got dealt with and left another one. And um, then, but you do have to remember, it is a show for children. <laughs> Listen, if everyone else in the world forgets that, I'm allowed to forget that sometimes <laughs> the too. The children don't forget it, Jordan. <laughs> Will someone please think of the children? Um, yes. Uh, any episode devoted to the watermelon Stevens is my uh, <laughs> and, the, and the culture they've created is uh, is all right by me. Uh, but yes, the whole Malachite thing got sorted. The cluster got sorted. Won't tell you how, but you know, brief fifteen minute episodes that got done. Uh, the threat of Yellow Diamond is still looming. We'll see what happens there. But yeah, um, excellent. Yeah, I, I enjoyed them. Welcome back, Steven Universe. Um, do you think that you could possibly lay off watching it for a little while? Maybe. Why, you want me to... No, no, I just... Because you said you enjoyed it more while you were binging it. When I was it, binging? You might as well just sort of... Yeah, I mean, there there are other things that can fill that spot. Yeah, I can probably lay... I mean, it's, it's only... God, it's only... Is that going to be the whole season? Five episodes of like... Which is really like 10, 15 minute episodes? Yeesh. It's um, a kid's show. <laughs> they don't know. It's on reruns. They watch it after school. Chatter has been, I guess, I read somewhere that five seasons they might tap out at. Like, they're they're right. going to go five and that's it. Okay. So, well, we can move on to um, our DC news, which is sort of news. Sort of news. Basically, Friday afternoon, they released a statement or Diane Nelson, who is the president of DC Entertainment, released mm-hmm. a statement all about how that it's all about, you know, being inclusive and, you know, they take th- these sort of allegations very seriously and yada, 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 super noncommittal. Talking here about the uh, many allegations against Superman editor Eddie Berganza, which came on the heels of the firing of Shelley Bond. Jump back like three episodes. We talked about it. All that then. Um, Yeah, talking loud and saying nothing. Well, and I mean, they had to get the president of DC Entertainment to deliver it because she is like the only woman who works there. (laughs) Yeah, it's basically one of these like, oh, well, we don't talk about, well, it's not our policy to talk about specific personnel matters, blah, blah, blah. We take it seriously, blah, 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 blah. blah. This apparently came on the heels of a like all staff meeting. Which is funny. I always think it's funny when they have an all-staff meeting. They're like, just reminding everyone, this is our policy, when really they need to talk to one person. <laughs> yeah. And uh, who even knows he, if he was there? There's Maybe some, he was on vacation. Some 23-year-old lady proofreader who's sitting there like, this has nothing to do with me. <laughs> Why am I here? I know who this is for. It said about as much as Marvel's statement on Tilda Swinton being the yeah. ancient one. So, I mean, we all live to shit on DC, but I mean, they did as much for that. A little late. It's been almost a month now, but I mean, we can officially start the count on the uh, how long has it been since DC did something stupid. Well, that's good, I guess. We're at day three. <laughs> day three. Keep it up. Keep, Keep- up the good work, DC. <laughs> um, and yeah, and now uh, a what has become a bit of a favorite segment. <laughs> it's become a very popular segment, which apparently people are skipping. I found this out. So this is going to be Caitlin asked questions about Game of Thrones. Yeah. Because Caitlin will not be watching season six of Game of Thrones. No, Jordan I is. Won't. Caitlin is a book reader. Jordan is not. And we are also the last people to ever talk about this because we record on Sundays hours before the new episode airs. So by yeah. the time you listen to us, we're talking about shit that happened a week ago. Yep. Um, and, uh, you know, there weren't as many YouTube clips for last <laughs> episode. Not as much bootleg material for her to check out no, and find out so, for herself. So uh, so what went on at, in Game of Thrones last week? Oh, God, I'm trying to think. So Jon Snow Alive. Yeah. We knew that. Yeah. 
that scene I mentioned when we first talked about Jon Snow being alive, where like Melisandre is all like, "What did you see?" Yeah, when you were dead, and he's like, "Nothing." <laughs> and he had a brief crisis of, you know, what his purpose was. Like, I thought I did the right thing, and I got killed for it. Like, what am I supposed to do now? And Davos is like, "You just keep failing. That's what we do. That's what people do." Wow. <laughs> you just, you, Thanks for the support, you, Davos. You, you keep trying and failing. Um, he's like, I don't know what your purpose is. You got to find that out. But um, oh, I did see a clip of um, Bran being in the past, which yes, is super cool. That was the big major thing, which the book readers were like, yeah. I guess like I watched the after show, uh, which features like my the hosts of my favorite podcast ever. Uh, they're not doing the after show for HBO, and they had a guest on there who's basically saying so. Like the Tower of Joy shit was first mentioned in game of thrones which if you were there from day one that's a book that came out 20 years ago so yeah. like you've been waiting a long ass well, time I mean, to see this i wasn't there on day one yeah no you, i would have been them. nine and that would have been a little a little advanced little i mean advanced. we know you love we know you read an advanced level but that might have been much yeah uh yes this whole tower of joy business which is what we suspect if the r plus l equals j theory is accurate that is where it all like shook down. And I kind of love that they're stretching that out. So they're making the book readers like a little twitchy. <laughs> and they're like, just show us how Just show us. We want it so bad. Um, I want to know where they found <laughs> the best like young Sean Bean in the world. <laughs> the chin on that dude was yeah. like, where did you? <laughs> Must have chin. That's what the casting, <laughs> the casting call said. Um, yeah. So this is Bran seeing what I presume was the at the end of Robert's Rebellion. Mm-hmm. Ned and Elder Marine. No, what the Elder Marine? No, the you know the weird twins. Oh, their dad. Um. Okay, I know this. Reed. Right. They roll up to the Sword of the Morning or whatever his name is. And he Arthur Dane was that his name? Oh man, he was so good. Did you see? Did you see this clip? Or? I saw the clip. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, I I did see actually this clip. I don't know how for a guy who was on one episode. How much training did that guy do to like fight with two swords, I don't know. like straight Jedi style? But like, even he just he just had a really good impact. Yeah. In the scene, I just thought it was he was a great character. And I like the subtle hints there of like Bran being like, "Oh yeah, no, I know this story, you know, yeah. blah blah blah." Oh shit! Wait a minute, this guy's better than my dad. <laughs> yeah. And Max von Sydow's like, "Oh no, yeah, he's crazy better than your dad." <laughs> He's like Bran thinking he knew this story. He heard it a million times. Ooh, actually, Ned like slit his throat after he'd been stabbed in the back. Yeah. That's not very knightly or kingly or <laughs> honorable. And then, of course, it stops right short before we see what is happening and in the Tower of Joy. Want to see which to we all us. suspect is the birth of Jon Snow. Yeah. So that was a big one there. Uh, I know Arya got her sight back. Yes. She is the girl without a name. Um, however, I saw another scene where she was like listing off the people she needed to kill, but she didn't name all the names. No. So there's this idea, I think, there that she even she's covered up really well that she's the girl like that there's still Arya deep down inside her. Well, I mean, sprinkled throughout this like training montage was like that little squirrel face girl who kept hitting her with the stick yeah i don't, I don't remember her name is like interrogating her but it's like they're talking about aria as someone else like in the third person so yeah. it may have been a thing where she was like who was on i don't remember exactly but it's like who was on aria's list and the girl with no name rattled off who was on aria's list yeah and the easter egg there or the nice the interesting thing there was they asked about the the squirrel face girl asked about the hound 
and Arya basically cops to like she had sort of forgiven him right by the end that like she hated him but she didn't like huh. she did but she didn't sort of thing what else oh yeah that's the bone i have to pick with you with me because oh. awesome caitlin last oh. week when we had our mm-hmm. caitlin asked questions about game of thrones segment said oh i really want to know who gets brought to ramsey bolton I'm just hoping it's not Rickon, which was a thought that hadn't ever occurred to me. As far as I know, Rickon's out just skipping along with Shaggy Dog and the Wildling Chick. Yep. Happy as a clam. Guess who got brought to Ramsey Snow? I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Rickon. And I totally messaged you on, like, what was it, on Monday? Monday morning. I was like, Was it Rickon? Uh, and how did we prove that it was Rickon? Oh, they bring the severed head of Shaggy Dog and throw it on the on the table. So it's uh, we're down to like one, two. Arya's dire wolf might still be living yep. its best life, ro- rolling through the north. No, three, because we Ghost. have John Ghost. We have Brands. Is Brands still around? Yeah, isn't it? Oh, haven't seen it in a while, but yeah, I have to look. Ner- this up. Nerds are yelling. <laughs> um, I'm gonna look it up, and then we'll we'll know we'll know for sure. Um, you got some Danny stuff this week. Hanging with the Real Housewives of the Dothraki. <laughs> Basically, the the uh, suspense there is like, because she didn't go there when she was supposed to, Yeah. The all the cows get to decide what to do with her. Um, so, something interesting. In the books, there are a lot more, pro- there, there's a lot of prophecy mm. and a lot of like visions and dreams and stuff. And Danny is told really early on in the series that she needs to go go back to where it started okay and is basically told several times that she has to go back um to the kalasar or whatever so they didn't do as much of that in the series that i at least the first two that i saw no i think season five had a flashback to cersei getting a prophecy and that was the only thing we'd ever seen um so it's just interesting that she does go back to where she has started just like the books said Mm. she must and our preview for tonight's episode uh, has Dario and Jora like staking out, maybe about to attempt their daring rescue. We will see. Uh, and we kind of ended. I'm sure I'm forgetting something, but we ended. Uh, John kind of bookended the episode, and then John has to decide what to do with the people who killed him, and he hangs them all, even the kid. Good. <laughs> That's what I would do. Gives everybody a chance to say something. The kid just mean mugs at him, <laughs> and John's just like, you know what? Fuck this shit. <laughs> And just uh, cuts the rope. They all hang. Good hanging. Kid gave a good death face, so good for him. And then John takes off his big feathery cloak, hands it to the rat face guy, and is like, uh, rat face is like, what am I supposed to do with this? He's like, "Eh, whatever you want. I don't need it. I'm out. Well, yeah, I would be. If I was, like, trying my best, and then some people got together and stabbed me, and then I got brought back to life, I'd be like, I'm out. Technically, his vow is over. His his watch was over. So he can do whatever he wants, and he is. Where's John going? What's John doing? We don't know, but he's gone. Probably just in time for Sansa to roll in this week, which it looks like yeah. is going to happen. I hope Sansa God gets forbid. powers. I don't know why. I just I hope she like hangs out with Melisandre and just gets super awesome powers. <laughs> yeah, I guess she could be a red and witch. She flays Ramsay Bolton. <laughs> Anyways, um. uh, so for this week, it looks like yeah, we're going to get some Sansa stuff tonight. Uh, we're going to get. Possibly the only instance of Littlefinger ever showing remorse for something he has done. Um, huh. It seems like he's a little, little feeling a little responsible for the situation Sansa ended up in. I doubt it. Um, 
yeah, some dare, maybe some daring rescue for Danny uh, and some Iron Islands type stuff. Theon makes his way back and looks like he's getting verbally <laughs> berated oh, by his sister. Poor Theon. Poor Reek. Oh, you had it coming. Anyway, that's your update, and that concludes your Caitlin asked questions about Game of Thrones update. I'm excited about next week's update. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we'll hit her back with that next week while you're all waiting for that week's episode. <laughs> Do we have anything else to talk about this um, week? Um, I don't think so. I think that's it. Then, with that, we will take a pause here, and when we come back, Caitlin and I will discuss the things that we brought each other. I'm super excited. A little weird. It's kind of a weird week this week. It's definitely a kind weird of, week. Kind of stretch the definitions of, of what we <laughs> of what we bring, but hey, hope you enjoy it. We'll see you soon. Hey friends, welcome back to the show. That portion where you heard the music is where advertising would go. If we had advertising, which we don't. Which we don't. 16th week in a row. 16 episodes. <laughs> we have clearly demonstrated consistency. Yes. And our wonderful voices. That could be delivering a message of your product. I don't know how to word, okay? <laughs> this is why you need to write it. We're not saying we're going to write your ad for you. We're just going to say we're just bleh, saying we're going to read it. <laughs> yeah. If you would like your on-brand message drizzled in audible chocolate, get at us. Yeah. Geekdownpod at gmail.com. Yet again, it will not take much. It'll take some tea or some coffee. Sandwich money. Sandwich money. That's all we want. Sandwich money. Moving on. Um, so, this is the part of the show where we bring each other something to watch or read or view or experience. Something we like that the other person has likely never encountered. Yes. In some cases, the person thinks they have encountered it, but they have not. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> that comes later. Um, but for this section of the show, we do have some rules. There are rules. First rule, the rule of three. Which is that if the thing we've brought to the other person involves any kind of sort of episodic or segmented viewing, Installments. They, installments. They have to at least view or watch or experience three of them. Yes. So you get a better sense of what the thing will become. Uh, did not apply this week. It did not. Uh, does apply a lot of weeks. So we just like to put that out there. Um, the second rule. Hashtag save it for the pod. Um, which is the rule that we do not talk about the thing to one another throughout the week so that we have something to make a podcast about. Because yes. otherwise, Jordan and I would just talk about it the whole time. Sometimes, listen, it's very hard to do. And sometimes it's so hard that, like, I don't believe it's happened. Like, sometimes I don't really believe Caitlin has watched the thing I've told her to watch <laughs> until she's sitting here. Because how did she not talk to me about it up until this point? It's very, very, very difficult. Um, and then the third uh, rule, which is actually not a rule, it's more of a policy, is that this section of the show will definitely have spoilers. If you didn't already know from the first half of the show where we <laughs> <laughs> went in on Sleepy Hollow and Game of Thrones, uh, yeah, we don't really care about spoilers. Yeah, so if you are someone who does care about spoilers, then take a break. Take some time to get some tea or some cheese or some bacon wrapped scallops, even though I think that's a bad idea. And I should probably start putting in time codes in the descriptions. So, like, 
if you want to, like, when I do the write-ups, if it's like, if you don't want spoilers, you can skip ahead to X, where we talk about updates or chit-chat or wherever this portion ends. I guess. You do I guess. all the work. <laughs> More- <laughs> <laughs> Caitlin's like, I don't give a shit what you do, because <laughs> you're the one doing it. Yeah, that's not true. I do I do a little bit of work. I, I email people. That doesn't affect me at all. Though, if you would like to email us, definitely do so. Just as a, putting that out there. At the end of the show, I'll give you all that information. Yes. So we like to switch back and forth. Last week we ended on the rather intense discussion of Kill la Kill, so which I brought Caitlin, which means this week we will start with the thing I brought Caitlin, which I don't think, I hope, didn't offend her nearly <laughs> as much as Kill la Kill did. Uh, preamble for this, because it is the first time I have ever done this. So when we had our Secret Origins episode, which you should go back and listen to if you haven't listened to already, it's yeah, maybe okay. one of my favorite episodes we've ever done. We were discussing what we were nerds about, what we geeked out about, mm-hmm. and I was rattling off all the things I was into, like, I like comics, I like video games, I like anime, and I wasn't even really putting it in that box, but Caitlin said, oh, you're also, like, a really big music nerd. Super big. And I am, but I don't put that in the typical, like, nerd box. Like, yeah, it's something I'm super geeky about, but when I'm rattling off the things I am geeky about, I don't normally put music in there. This from a guy who, you know, woke up at the crack of dawn today to go to a record sale at the Gladstone Hotel and bought, like, weird free jazz and, like, 80s boogie records. Now, I wouldn't do that basically for anything. I don't think I've ever woken up early for a thing <laughs> if I didn't have to. You've never woken up at 8 a.m. on a Sunday for... I'm trying to think if there's anything I ever lined up for super, super early. And I don't think there is. I'm just not that type of type of nerdy person have you done the midnight release (sighs) nope nope you lined up not super early but i definitely met you once before harry potter that you lined up for super early once and you cosplayed you know what i didn't line up we had our tickets yes but i did cosplay and it was a midnight release it was the last movie and yeah and i was very excited I just mean specifically because I am not a morning person mm. and I'm not a collector of things. I've never gone somewhere to get something as strange as 80s Japanese boogie. <laughs> and uh, what else did you pick up? Uh, oh, shit. I got some I got some Gladys Knight. I got some I got some Joe Sample jazz. I got um, basically a whole bunch of stuff I've never even heard of. Got, got some CTI. That's awesome. some CTI from my jazz fusion heads out there. Um, the only midnight release I've ever done was Grand Theft Auto Four, and that's only because I got done work at like eleven, and all I had to do was like walk from one end of the mall to the other, <laughs> get my copy good. of Grand Theft Auto, and go home. So yes, normally don't consider music to be like when it comes time to think of something for Caitlin to check out. Music is not something that I ever consider. But when she mentioned that, and given that she had given me something audio-based fairly recently around that time as well, which was the Neverwhere radio play, I listened to another podcast, which was dedicated to the year 1996. They were talking about a lot of things that happened in 96, including mm-hmm. the music of 96, and one album in specific that came out in 1996, which was an album that was very important to me and meant a lot and was really mind-blowing for me. And I thought maybe... Maybe I'll give that to Caitlin one week if she thinks that like albums are something worth worth passing back and forth. And for lack of anything else and scared to death to give her anime again after Kill a Kill, <laughs> I thought, you know what? I will give her that album I was thinking about uh, a couple months ago. So before we get into this, 
Caitlin McKinnon. Yeah. I need to take you back to that year. Uh, 1996. 1996. Ugh, ugh. A time when there was no Spotify, there was no Apple Music. Nope. I don't even know. There may have been barely MP3s at this point. Yeah, it was all CDs. This was a time when you basically, you got your information about music that you never heard before, either from like a music station, like Much Music, or magazines. Yep. And I would always get, for Christmas, every year, my mom would buy me, for a stocking stuffer, the year-end issues of numerous magazines. Okay. And this is back when print was still a uh, viable, economically, <laughs> So these were giant. So I would get the Rolling Stone year-end issue. I would get the Spin year-end issue. And I would just... It was my favorite... One of my favorite parts of Christmas. I would, like, devour them. And they always had their year-end lists of, like, the best albums and whatnot. And Spin would do this really snotty thing where they would have... Because they were Spin. They would have, like, you know, the ten, the 20 best albums of the year and then the 10 albums you didn't hear. Um, now that is snotty. they're so hipster. And they, wow, they heard spin. everything. And I don't recall which side of this this album fell on. I was just really taken by it showed up on one of these lists and I was really taken by the cover and the guy's name was interesting to me. It is one of two albums I ever bought. Just no idea. Right. Because this was a this was also a time where even like previewing a CD at the music store was like not something that happened like all the time. Which like, is one of my, it was one of my favorite parts of going to a, a music store. It's like you'd go there and then they'd have to like unwrap it and like. Oh, no, no, none of that. It was like one of those things where you had the headphones and they had the selected yeah, CDs. Yeah. I always love that. But it was like, it was you were really rolling the dice because this was at a time when like a CD was like, could be as much as like $23 <gasps> and you couldn't really preview it. You know, people my age have piles of CDs that we bought for one song and the rest of it was garbage. Oh, so yeah. to like go out and buy a record or a CD that you didn't know anything about was borderline unheard of do you want to know my favorite my first cd ever your that, first cd that i bought uh it was no doubt tragic kingdom that 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 tracks yeah that. i didn't even have the cd of alanis morissette's jagged little pill no. i had the tape nice so there are two that i ever did this with one of which and one of which i at least saw a video beforehand and liked the video enough to just go yeah sure i'll buy that that sounds good which was refused refused the shape of punk to come um, which was incredible and blew my mind. And the other one was this album, which Caitlin and I are going to talk about today, which is DJ Shadows Introducing. Yes. So this is an album that came out, as I said, in 1996. The first full-length release from DJ Shadow, a.k.a. Josh Davis, who from who is from Davis, California. No relation. Uh, it is an album made up of... It's, it's cute, almost. I feel like he thought he was making a hip-hop album doesn't really sound anything like a hip-hop album and it seems cute to say like oh it's an album entirely made up of samples although that's not technically true it was cited in guinness as being like the first album to ever be compro composed of nothing but like samples but they had he had some stuff go on in the records uh recording he like, had a like couple people stop sting, there's there's some like talk. verbal stuff that he recorded in the studio um but he basically did it with like a turntable an mpc and like that's it and like an adat tape but multi-track tape recorder and a giant stack of records. Shadow is, if you go, if you ever see a documentary called Scratch, which is a great documentary about sampling, when it comes time to talk about like the best diggers, like the people who can just find those records that like no one's ever heard of, mm -hmm. I just remember this scene in the movie. They like start 
talking about him in like hushed tones like this mythical figure <laughs> and then when they finally get to him it's like the camera pans over these giant piles of records and there's just this little white guy like you know <laughs> flipping through the stacks dj shadow he's the king of digging no one's other than him he's got a, a keen sense he's got the spidey sense he comes here regularly and spends the day usually going through the records downstairs and he's been coming here for a long time and he always comes up with a big stack of records like that. We don't let just anybody downstairs. So he does have a special relationship in that sense. This is just, it's my little nirvana. And uh, being a DJ that, that I take, you know, the art of digging seriously. And uh, this is just a place I've been going to for 11 years. It's just an incredible archive of, of music culture. And there's the promise in these stacks of finding something that you're going to use. And, and in fact, most of my first album was built off of records pulled from here. So it has almost a karmic element of like, you know, I was meant to find this on top. Or I was meant to pull this out because it worked so well with this. So it's got a lot of meaning for me personally. So yeah, it's, it's, how do you describe it? It's... It's ambient, it's a trip hop was made, the term trip hop was first used to describe DJ Shadow's first single. Um, I I can tell you some things it sounds like. Sure. Um, very early 90s Massive Attack. Yep. Um, Morchiba. Yep. These, these are all trip hop artists. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I did put Jay Dilla down there because there were some some similarities and things. Yep. So it's, it's instrumental, we should say. There are vocal samples on it, but there's no like you know rapping or anything. And some and a lot of the vocal s- samples, he's done this thing where you can't really hear them. No, um, which is great because it adds layers to everything, but it also drives me nuts because I'm like, what are they saying? And I cannot describe for you. I will never. There is no record that affected me hearing it for the first time mm-hmm. like this did. It starts with just like this flurry of cutting and scratching that was like where he's like introducing himself. Yeah. And I was just like, it's like a 90 second intro of just him like scratching his ass off. And I was like, what is happening? And also I came at this record at a time when my musical taste was in a really weird spot. Like I I grew up with rap, loved rap. Biggie and Tupac and Snoop kind of put me off rap or more so the people who were really into that who were the same people who called me like n-word lover when i was in high school wow for listening to public enemy now all of a sudden are singing about how they love them hoes on the bus and i'm like yeah no i'm i'm off that <laughs> so i really i was kind of i was listening to like acid jazz you know i was really big into jamiroquai and like orbital and like the electronica wave and things like that yeah and as well grunge and post grunge i started playing in my first bands then um because everybody was because it's just what you did in high school so I was in university, or first or second year university, when I bought this. So I was kind of like off rap. And this flurry of cutting was like, come on back. <laughs> come on back. We still remember what you like. And as well, as a drummer, I remember the first thought I had was like, it's like every beat I ever wanted to hear. Like, just the drums. Okay, so let's get into this now. Okay, fine. Because <laughs> we're at the beginning. It's not just you talking. It's about how whether I liked it. <laughs> Caitlin, what did you think of DJ Shadows introducing? Um... I thought a whole bunch of things. Had you ever heard this record before? I had Did not. you know anything about this record no. before? Well, cool. I've never heard of this person before in my life. But there's a lot of things I haven't heard about, <laughs> so that's not really a surprise. Um, so I listened to it three times. So the first time I listened to it, there were things I picked up on that I liked. 
But it was sort of like, I, it was a really great album, but it wasn't, it was sort of something I could listen to while I was doing work. Yeah. Like, it's not, because there are no lyrics, everything kind of flows together really well. And so it's, uh, we talked earlier about, like, easygoing Tibetan, like, meditation music. <laughs> it was kind of the same thing. It was something you, you don't have to actively listen to. Mm-hmm. Um, I did specifically notice the the beats in the intro and a couple of um, almost, like, cutscenes. Um, that kind of stuff was really interesting. And then on my second listen, when I was comparing it to things, because there was some familiarity, like, I was like, oh, yeah, this is something, like, I've heard before. And um, I went, and when I was in high school... I was a huge, massive Attack fan, um, and I ended up buying their first album, which was Blue Lines. Blue Lines, yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, it, this really reminds me of Blue Lines. And I was listening to it some more, and I think it was like three quarters through the second listening, I was like, holy shit, did he make this all out of samples? Because <laughs> I was like, it, they all, so much of the music sounded different, if that make also makes any sense. Like, it, it, it didn't sound like it was... A cohesive whole like yeah there weren't three people in a studio who made this right yes um i was like oh my god he made it in all the samples didn't he and sure enough i looked it up and i was like that's insane and so on my third listen through i spent a lot of time listening to all the layers and it kind of blew me away and i also i looked up you know when when did this album come out i was like 1996 it's insane. Who thinks that it's 1996? And it did remind me of Jay Dilla with a lot of the layering and taking bits and kind of figuring out in their heads where it goes. Yeah. So this is probably, you should say, like in the most like traditional or hardcore way of sampling where it's like every instrument came off a different record. Yeah. It, it's it's amazing. Like, and yeah, the drum beats are phenomenal like there was a little bit that reminded me a bit of uh, uh, like um uh drum and bass um bits and pieces Mm -hmm. but all the drums were different right so and you could tell that it wasn't a machine making this it was it came from an album it came from someone playing the drums because they're dusty yeah um and you just and that was the thing it was that it was um electronic but it wasn't electronic like it, it wasn't made from a a machine. It was made from pulling bits and pieces from everywhere. It's like a big collage, right? Yeah, so it still kind of has that like organic, acoustic-y type feel to it. Like yeah. these are in, these are actual like analog. That's the word I was looking for. Not not organic. Um, it's like actual like instruments. Yeah, um, which was amazing. So yeah, I really enjoyed it, and I'm actually probably gonna keep on listening to it. The number song, yeah. When I first heard that, I was like, "What the fucking drums on that song?" I think people have in in the world of who sampled and like you know revealing everything now that culture. That was the only thing he like refused to give up. Like he had no problem talking about what he used in certain parts, right. but like those drums on the number song those were like where did those come from and that was the only thing he like wouldn't give up like no and there were like definitely especially on my second listening there were i would stop and i'd be like what song is that because Mm. i'm going to want to listen to this again and like um name napalm brain slash scatterbrain was one of the ones that's the one that's almost like death that's the one that's almost like death metal right like or is that no is that stem long stem 
that's another one that I actually really liked as well. Um, I don't know what it is about the songs. I'm again, I'm not. I'm musical in that I enjoy a lot of different types of music, but I'm not musical in that I pull things apart. Mm. It's very much like my geekiness. I like what I like. I don't always know why. I just know that I like it. Um, Sometimes I try and figure it out. But in something like this, I think either it reminded me of things or I just really enjoyed the beat or I enjoyed sort of the, the way he put everything together. Um, So yeah, there's a, yeah, there was a transmission one. Like there are a couple songs on here that I'm like, I'm going to take this and this and this and put it in rotation in my playlist. And he's not super trying to be like, you know, the diggingest of the diggers. Like he, there's like a Bjork sample on there that like mutual slump, I think has a Bjork sample, which is if you're a big Bjork fan, like you'll recognize that immediately. He's not trying to like, He's not totally trying to be like the most obscure sample guy no. in the world. It's just if something caught his ear. There's like, I don't know where it is, but apparently there's a Metallica sample on there as well. One of the first beats he ever did clearly used the Sunday Bloody Sunday drums from yeah. U2. Like if you listen to, if you know that song, you'll recognize the tone of those drums immediately. But even just like the, the patterns, like the way he would organize like a kick and a snare for like the rhythms of the drums. Like this is every beat I've had in my head that I wanted to hear that I didn't know I wanted to hear. Um, There is a, a bit of... Um sort of a someone doing a I don't know who it is I mean you would know if it I don't know if it's him or if it's somebody else talking about being a drummer from listening to records I just knew what to do I mainly taught myself and you know I did pretty well except there were a few mistakes but uh, that I made that uh, I have just recently cleared up you know Continue to be able to express myself as best as I can in history. And I feel like I have a lot of work to do. Still, you know, I'm a student of the drums. And I'm also a teacher of the drums, too. <laughs> oh, yeah, that thing at the beginning. Yeah. Um, do you know who that is? I don't, actually. It's uh, I think it's just from, like, an interview record. Um, because that was really... That was really interesting as well that he put that in there. Because sort of the beat is where you start off with a lot of stuff, right? Mm. Especially in electronic music, they, the reason they call it, you know, rhythm and bass, you know, <laughs> they, it's it's that's a, a really um, important part of this album, you can tell. I liked that little bit there. I, it was sort of like a, well, it was part of the introduction, and I think it was important for people who maybe are not... What's the word? I'm going to say they are more casual listeners than others. I think that's an important thing to to keep in mind. I feel like this is an art album, and uh, I yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And it's kind of been he says it's not like he doesn't consider it like an albatross around right. his neck, but it's definitely like he's to his mind. It's like he's like if that's the album for people, that's fine. I mean, you how many people? So few people get a chance to say like you made something that connected with people on that level yeah but if that's what you fell in love with them for it's been kind of frustrating to be a dj shadow fan in the years since right um he did like a b-sides collection that came out after introducing his proper follow-up was called the private press which was kind of similar to introducing from like a sampling aspect right but he focused more on it was called the private press because back in the day you know you could go in those booths and like record a record right you know get put a put 50 cents in and record a record and it would like cut it on a 45 out of like a shitty 45 out of a machine. He decided that's what he was interested in. And he started like digging those 
So, like, the first song is, like, some woman talking about, like, we hope to see you when you come home for <laughs> for Christmas. Um, but it still, it still had some beats on there. But then, like, by the time his third album came out, which is called The Outsider, he's from the Bay Area. That's where he grew up at. And at that time, uh, Hyphy was kind of bubbling up. It had, like, a brief moment mm-hmm. from, like, this Oakland style of rap, which was, like, it's like Bay Area crunk music. <laughs> it sounds so strange. It's like, go but... stupid, get dumb, whip your dreadlocks around, like... And he, maybe a little too late by the time it came out, decided to make an album celebrating that. So it was just like a straight-ahead rap album. Right. But it missed the hyphy wave. He didn't really care, but it, like, it missed that wave by like six months, maybe. So when it came out, it's like, you're listening to like these weird rap beats that I'm sure are blowing up uh, in Oakland. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know who the fuck Keek the Sneak is or <laughs> these weird artists that he had. And then, yeah, he's got something that's coming out, and it's more much more electronic noisy he doesn't really i don't think he really does sampling as much anymore i think he does more stuff with synths the, i think the only problem with the album is that it definitely isn't as amazing now than it was in 1996 yeah right like I said, it's, it's cute to say like oh it's an album entirely made out of samples because so many like the legacy this album has left is that yeah you have tons of albums that are like that now. yeah and even like the sound right if a lot of the stuff that was like it was late 90s early 2000s um so he was definitely ahead of his time and even just seeing that this album came out in 1996 i was like what that's crazy um and definitely there have been artists who started out in that lane who have you know built and improved upon it as they continued on it like massive attack yeah like tricky um like portishead even yeah, he kind of inadvertently got lumped into the whole Bristol scene when this like trip hop term like and and he was a lot bigger coined. in England. I found out. So, yeah, I read that too. He was, uh, I guess, he was like really depressed <laughs> when he was like <laughs> making the record because his his first came out on this label called Moax, which is an English label, and was at kind of at the forefront of this whole this whole trip hop thing when it was first burbling up in England and yeah he was getting a whole lot of press and attention and then he like toured the UK and all this stuff and was heralded as a hero and then he came back to Davis and nobody gave a shit who he was and yeah which has got to be I mean hard it's hard for a lot of artists in the UK because they'll get huge in the UK and North America has no idea who they are oh and I guess I should say the most similar thing he did uh to introducing and was maybe could technically be called the follow-up, was um, a project called Uncle, U-N-K-L-E, which was this, in theory, collaboration between himself and the Moex label head, James Lavelle. I think James Lavelle in this role was kind of like the proto-DJ Khaled. I don't think he really did anything. I think he just kind of like went out and got people. But like, for the time, like Richard Ashcroft from The Verve sings a song on it. Tom York from Radiohead sings a song on it. Like there's... Mm -hmm. But they all recorded like before... The things that blew them up. Yeah. Like, Richard Ashcroft did his song before Bittersweet Symphony came out. Tom York recorded before, like, OK Computer came out. Right. The Beastie Boys are on it. Cool G Raps on it. What? Like, it's, it's, it's an insane album. And if <laughs> right. you like introducing, you should check this one out. Probably doesn't hold up as well. Might sound a little more dated. But it's an insane oh, album yeah. as well. But sorry, yeah, you just said it. As as far as introducing goes, it it doesn't sound dated at all. No. It sounds like it could have come out yesterday. Yeah. It's and, de- and it would have been great if it had come out you know <laughs> yesterday it doesn't sound like it's far behind at all so in 1996 it must have been like oh my god this is the greatest thing ever yeah i just i burned a hole in 
that CD when I bought it. It was unlike anything I'd ever heard. Yeah, and like I said, I'm legitimately going to be taking songs and putting them in my in my playlist rotation because they're that good. Dope. Well, yeah. passing passing mu- new music to people who have never heard it is one of my favorite things. So, Katie Mac, yeah, if you're handing out kick punches to DJ Shadows introducing. I'm going to say it's it's a solid 7 out of 10, maybe 8 out of 10. I know, i got to listen to it more. I'll <laughs> tell you. Um, but yeah, no, a solid 7 out of 10. There wasn't anything wrong with it. Mm. It's just that, I mean, it, it's instrumental. So I don't know how other people are with instrumental music. But every so often I'm like, eh, I'm not really in the mood for instrumental. I want to like boogie down with some lyrics <laughs> and i get that i mean for me uh, so much of my music listening usually accompanies me you know walking the streets or yeah. you know riding the bus or something so it's just you know it's the soundtrack of the you know epic movie that's playing out in my head that i think i'm living in so yeah oh wait <laughs> I that's love not just me that's everyone no that's everyone oh well that's so, introducing that's introducing moving on moving on so the thing i brought jordan this week is one of my favorite things ever um and it is Brazil, directed by Terry Gilliam. Not Time Bandits. <laughs> Not Time Bandits. Also directed by Terry Gilliam. Yes. Which is when Caitlin said, "Have you seen Brazil?" I said, "Not from beginning to end, but I mean, I, I'm I I know I know parts of it. I feel like I've seen parts of it." Nope, was definitely thinking of Time Bandits. <laughs> Not um, seen this movie ever. No. And uh, Brazil came out in 1985. If you are not aware, Terry Gilliam is the director who directed your favorite movie. He's that director that people don't realize. He's he's directed uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, Twelve Monkeys, The Fisher King, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, Time Bandits. He has uh, a whole bunch of stuff. I forgot about Fear and Loathing. I forgot he did that one. See, exactly. This is what I mean. And which is uh, actually another one of my favorite movies. But um, uh, Brazil is one of his first-ish movies. Uh, he had quite a bit of directing under his belt because he, of course, was one of the Python gang. Yes. He was the only one born in the U.S., but he is now a British citizen. And 19... Uh, sorry. And Brazil is basically about a, a low-level bureaucrat named Sam Lowry who escapes his day-to-day life through a recurring daydream he has of heroically saving a beautiful damsel. Getting caught up in the accidental death of an innocent man, Sam stumbles across the woman from his daydreams, and then I like to say Terry Gilliam ensues, which is basically it just kind of goes crazy from there. Um, it stars the amazing Jonathan Price. Kim Greist, I think you say her name. She plays the damsel. Yes. And uh, Robert De Niro in one of his best roles ever. Um, now, the movie is basically takes elements of 1984 and just Terry Gilliam's crazy, weird aesthetic and basically talks about how crazy bureaucracy can be and basically how nuts the world is. Jordan, what did you think? This will be my all-star Superman. Oh, no. This is the thing <laughs> where I know everyone loves it. Yeah. And it is much beloved. It Stupid is. Matt, one of his favorite movies. So happy when I said that's what I was watching this week. Because it's an amazing movie. And I watched it, and I went, meh. <laughs> Fair enough. I am sure in 85, in the years, a good solid... 15 years after yeah this was super biting social satire 
Yes. And I hate to be, as a phrase I loathe, but in a post 9-11 world. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I couldn't help it. It was involuntary. Dang, take a shot. <laughs> um, it just seems kind of cute. I can appreciate, I can definitely appreciate how prescient, prescient. Yes. It was in a lot of ways. The opening interview with the, where you see the deputy minister of information being interviewed. Mm -hmm. That sounds eerily like an interview that I'm sure I did hear (laughs) from a government official sometime in 2003. But, you know, I didn't think it bit very hard. Gilliam is a stylist more than a storyteller. Yeah, I can see. Th- yeah, I can definitely see that. Um, so, yes, there are things that look awesome. Yeah. Does it hold up as a story? Not necessarily. I don't know that he cares that much because a lot of it is meant to be challenging and difficult. It's British. Don't you just love the way he says that? Just saying that word. So you know what that means. It means eventually Bob Hoskins and some other guy are going to show up and start having a, having a bit a banter with each other. That's actually how I write it down in my notes now. Um, I actually write it down as wubba wubba in it. Okay, all right. Um, I know class. You know, there's there's British class nastiness that happens in it, which I know is like a major thing in the UK. Mm-hmm. Always just bums me out. It just makes me not. Actually, it's getting a lot better, but it's still definitely more of a thing. Well, we think it's our perception of it is that it's more of a thing in the UK than it is in North America. Mm -hmm. But really, when you look at North America, there is a a class divide. But that, that, I mean, you can call call it a trope, what have you, but like the scene where he goes to dinner with his mother and she's trying to like encourage him to accept a promotion and... You know, the way the wait staff like treats him like they, they don't they think he's a nobody at first and yeah. the conversations that are happening between his mother and his mother's friend and just kind of like the typical British class based sort of discussions about things is like. <laughs> <laughs> OK, well, then why don't we move on to. Um... Oh, and oh. The, the love story held zero water for me. OK. Um, and I don't know if his delusion is supposed to make him heroic or tragic. That's the point. Um, no, but I was going to say, why don't we talk about something uh, particular, like something that I actually think has become more relevant in years since um, his mother's plastic surgery adventure. Mm. I always found that to be really interesting as a commentary on how women are not allowed to get old, yeah. especially in Hollywood. Um, and with Korea's South Korea's I should say booming um plastic surgery I, I don't even know what you would call it uh sector what, how do you feel about that statement do you think he did it really well I think he did I feel like it's a point I've seen made other places again it's the same thing like I said at the top if I'd seen this in like 88 right I would have thought it was biting social satire I've seen it in a number of other places since then I do like that it was Ultimately came down to, in one of his delusions, him, his mother got so, so much plastic surgery, she ended up looking like the woman from his his daydreams. Yeah. Funny you mentioned South Korea. I recently just found a website because I I dabble in a bit of K-pop friends. Not a lot, but I dabble in it. I'm a dabbler. Um, There's like a website called like K-pop plastic surgery. (laughs) It's basically like charting all of the like, hey, you want to know, you want to know what, uh, what this K-pop idol 
had done. Yeah. Let's rattle it off. And they have all had something. Oh, done. yeah, absolutely. It's like the second you get signed, okay, let's go widen your eyes. Let's go slim your nose down. Let's go do all this business. Well, there was that, sorry, slightly off topic, but there was that um, a Miss South Korea competition where every single one of the contestants looked the same. Did you hear about <laughs> I that? I did not hear oh, about that. Oh, we're going to look that up after. It's great. <laughs> Put a link to that on the show page. Yeah, I mean, it, it was done well. I don't really know why it was there. It seemed kind of extraneous outside of the movie's core thesis about like the evils of bureaucracy and I think it's just ineffectual e- bureaucracy. And I think, but I also just think it's the evils of society, which is mostly because of bureaucracy. Yeah, Terry Gilliam is not a fan of uh, a big government or b no. society as a whole. <laughs> no. No, he think I'm pretty sure he thinks it's a really like sick world we live in, um, which could probably contribute to his craziness. Um, now, how about aesthetically? What do you think of the aesthetics of the movie? I thought it was a solid first step. Like I feel like I've seen things he's done in uh, later movies mm-hmm. that you see the groundwork for in Brazil, like the Shogun Samurai Warrior he fights sometimes <laughs> throughout in his visions. Yep. Like reminded me of like the Flaming Horseman from like the Fisher King. Like right. when it got creepy weird is actually when i liked it the most like when he was getting chased by those weird baby mask things or like <laughs> yeah. when michael palin who was actually my favorite part of the movie because michael palin is just michael palin but he's british jordan he is british but somehow i can always understand him he enunciates weird. uh when he comes out he and he's a plays a longtime colleague sort of friend of uh what's sam is that sam, sam lowry yeah of the sam lowry character Unlike the Sam, the, the way they play it off is Sam Lowry has the ability and none of the ambition. And Jack, the Michael Palin character, has not as much skill, but more more ambition. So he's kind of made his way up through the bureaucracy. He is now an interrogator in the Ministry of Information. And when ultimately, for a number of reasons, uh, it is time for Sam to be interrogated. Jack comes out in like this cupid doll baby mask and it's really <laughs> creepy looking. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm here for this. I like this. <laughs> And I did like the bits about when he does start to realize, like, the ramifications of the things that happen in this world. Like, when he goes to try and, like, deliver the refund check to the widow of the yeah. wrongly imprisoned uh, man. Wrongly imprisoned and murdered. And murdered. <laughs> Which that, listen, that was when Sam is investigating what has happened to this wrongly arrested and murdered man. <laughs> And, you know, he says to the Jack character, it's like, well, you, it's like you murdered him. You had the wrong man. He's like, no, no, I had the right man because they said they were bringing me the right man. It's not my fault. If they picked the wrong man, he was delivered to me as the right man. Yeah. So I wasn't supposed to know about his pre-existing heart condition because as far as I was concerned, they brought me the right man. And just that kind of mental justification. Bureaucratic dodgeball was like really well done. I would have liked maybe... Like, not that there's any lack of that, yeah. but I would have liked maybe a smidge more of okay. that sort of Kafkaesque. Uh, I say that while at the same time I'm thinking, like, but at the same time, you know, all that all that paper raining down. And, like, when he would constantly be <laughs> dropping papers, it just really stressed me out when he was like... <laughs> that's, yeah. I know that's the point, but it's like, Jack hands him the file on this woman he spotted, and he runs out. When he sees her, he runs out to go and find her, and he's got the file, and the only... Jack gives him one job. He's like, don't lose this. And the second he steps outside, papers are just dropping everywhere. And I'm like, pick them, stop it, pick them up. (laughs) Yeah, that was my biggest problem, is once he... And again, this is probably the point. Because unlike Caitlin, if I see something that doesn't make any sense to me, I don't automatically think it's bad writing or laziness. (laughs) 
Caitlin. Um, the second he like sees the the Jill, is that her name? And he's like, I'm in love with you. Bro, what? <laughs> what? Do you not know how this world works? Like everything he knows about the world is just completely gone. He just wants it's just it's all for her. And she goes along with it way too easy. <laughs> way too easy too. There's like very minimal resistance to the crazy man who has jumped into her truck and is now like telling her to run over cops and like just drive far away bro what bitch what are you <laughs> i think well it's you know a, what we're not gonna do i'm pretty sure it's supposed to be that sort of like when did the delusion start kind of thing mm. like you know there is that bending of reality that gilliam likes to do yes what is real what is not it happens a lot in his in his work um, but in something like 12 monkeys i remember like having my mind blown by it Yes. And in this, I was just kind of like, nah. I think this is more because this, this like, um, I'm going to say Baron Munchausen is more. Did he do that? Yes, he did. Did he? Yes, he did. Because I remember that movie, but. <laughs> Baron Munchausen and this film, they have more of a fantastical type thing. Mm-hmm. Now, it's called uh, a dystopian science fiction film, but I think it's more of a dystopian fantasy fiction film. Um, because they have all these sort of elements of like, again, what is reality and what is not? What can your mind change? What does storytelling do Mm. to change the world? Like, especially Baron Munchausen. Basically, he says, he, he sort of says when the story is real and or not and that makes it real and there's a little bit of this of you don't actually know when the delusion sort of started or what he has imagined and what is real um yeah the first time you see him he's soaring through the skies and on icarus wings yes and and that's one of the things i love i also really love the characters in this film the de niro character de niro was great was amazing Loved him. I really, I really loved his office mate when he finally oh, yeah, gets yeah. a job in the. Uh, he's such a minor character, but when he finally gets a job in the uh, in the Ministry of, I guess, Information Retrieval. I don't know. It's always. Yeah, I think I think that's there's right. collection. There's retrieval. There's a million different. You know, the point is there's a million different uh, departments. His the guy in the office next to him. I think his name is like Harry Lime or something. He's just a, such a sniveling little like, <laughs> character. He's played really well. I liked his original supervisor. Who doesn't know how to do anything and yep. needs him to do everything for him. I like that character. I like the... She's really minor, but it's like the daughter of his mother's friend mm-hmm. who, like, he thinks they're trying to, like, set him up with. And when he finally tries to have, like, this difficult conversation, it's like, listen, I think our mothers are trying to... She's like, no, it's fine. I don't like you either. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I really like that character as well. Uh, listen, Hosk- and we say, Hoskins and his friend with the wubba wubba in it is not <laughs> anything I'm going to be able to fully <laughs> sign on for. Uh, so uh, I did a little reading after I had watched the movie last night. Uh, Trying to figure out why people love it so much. Yeah, yeah. basically. Mm-hmm. I know how I know that feeling. You know that you know that feeling. It's like, well, what am I missing here? <laughs> uh, what is your take on the ducks? Meaning duct work, not aquatic. Yeah, waterfowl. Seems to be a lot of disagreement after of what the ducks represent or why they're there. What do you mean? Is there th- are there other like tons of theories about the ducks? Or just why? why they're there why is there why are there why is why that choice why duct work for a futuristic society it seems kind of like an archaic i don't know i guess i mean i always think with gilliam he gets these ideas about particular things and that's sort of where the bigger ideas come from Mm. so he sort of splices a whole bunch of things together 
So it could have just been something as simple as that. I mean, it's the same with, I mean, the, the big machines, right? Yeah. What, what are those doing there? Like, those aren't particularly futuristic. The theory I saw about the ducks was that that's just, you know, representative of, you know, the system and the bureaucracy. And it's just like, it's everywhere. It's in every part of life. So that's why you see this duct work in these tubes and these pipes everywhere. And it could be, I mean, it also, he likes to, Gilliam likes to put um, sort of repetitive symbols and everything. Mm-hmm. So it could just be one of those markers he's put in. So there's some sort of flow image-wise in the story. I don't know. See, I don't deep dive. So you, know, you, you, don't you, deep you automatically dive. deep dived. And I was like, yeah, there are ducks. They're everywhere. I don't know. Yeah, I guess. This is why I went to university, so that professors could tell me what I was looking for. <laughs> no, they were supposed to teach you how to do that. Well, I, I do that. Brain. I do teasing. that when I write essays and stuff. But when I'm just... <laughs> watching things i mean yeah i mean the overall takeaway for me it was like you know it's like it's like a debut album right it's like i see the things that you're interested in and that you did in my opinion better in later works i don't know why this is the one that so many people have of all of gilliam's work i don't know why this is the one so many people have hitched their wagons up to i think because now there are a lot of movies that do stuff that are sort of similar but especially at the time and even in the 90s filmmaking yeah i can see how in like 85 this would have been like what the hell just happened but even in the 90s right his movie still made people go like what the hell just happened and now we get tons of sort of experimental stuff and again that shifting of focus and what's real and what isn't labyrinth is one of those movies that sort of does something similar um but at the time, and again, in the 90s, where a lot of people, like I saw this movie in the 90s, probably too young, um, like a lot of the movies I, I saw at that age, and I was just sort of like, I don't even know what's going on, and I love it, and I I really like his storytelling, as weird as it is. Now, I do get that same frustrating feeling where the ends of his stories kind of fall apart, mm. but like you said, I don't think he really cares. No. <laughs> I think he's just like, yeah, that's the way my stories are. It's like anime. It just kind of falls apart <laughs> at the end. Falls apart. Nobody cares. I am Tetsuo. <laughs> As I was deep diving, I did read that apparently before it got like released in the US, they made him change the ending. Yeah, there is. Yeah. Um, I have a special edition and it, um, it, there are a couple different endings. Kind of ends with his delusion. Like yeah. <laughs> he happily drives off to yeah. the, to the greenery, the green hills. But the actual ending, yes. Spoilers for a 20, 30-year-old movie. <laughs> yes, the you, you think he gets away, but he's actually just kind of so committed, so submerged in his own delusions that he's and, insane. And happier that way. And, he's, and happier that way. There you go. I didn't say it was bad. <laughs> okay. So you didn't say All-Star Superman was bad. No, I didn't. You're right. You're absolutely right. This is definitely your All-Star Superman. Um, so, rating. Six. Six. Okay. That's, well, that's the end of that. See you guys all next week. <laughs> I, yeah, I appreciate. There's a lot to be said for how prescient and how biting the satire was for its time. Now it just kind of streams. It's, it's like a cute little snow globe to me. It's like this little like yeah, it's like this little world where our concerns and our satire was. You know, I'm sure this is very much rooted in like Thatcherism and and the UK 80s and 
how life was then. Though, to be perfectly honest, as someone who has a parent who works in the government now, I think she would say that it is, like, right on point. Oh, yeah. I'm sure from, like, the big government uh, bureaucratic aspect, it's still there. I just feel like because I didn't get to this first, I've seen this... Other places. Other places. So it diminishes the impact that something like this is going to have. Doesn't mean it's bad. It just means I'm not hitching my cart up to this one like the rest of y'all. But it's not bad. And there you go. All right. Do we have any updates? I have a couple. Oh, you do? Okay. What are your updates? Uh, Watch the fourth episode of Being Human. Yeah. It was bad. Uh Okay. Didn't make the show bad, but this episode was bad. Okay. This is the one where they think uh, Mitchell's a child molester. Oh, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> that was a weird, bad that episode. Is, yeah. I forgot uh, about that. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Only got two episodes left. We'll probably finish the series at some, uh, the first series at some point, but that episode was like, woo, you, you boofed it on that one. Uh, as well, uh, since it had to get cut for time last week, we will briefly say Caitlin mentioned she read a couple of graphic novels. I did. Before Shudder and Copperhead. Yep. Uh, Shudder, I really, really liked. I liked the art style and I liked the world and I did like the main heroine um, and the story was good, but I, I just, I liked a lot of the elements of the comic book. The second one, Copperhead, um, I said last week, and of course it did have to get cut for time, which is fine, but um, that it was almost identical to a campaign that I had right. been part of, a role-playing campaign. It was bizarre are how <laughs> accurately the same it was um the only thing is that copperhead has aliens and our campaign did not um but yeah it was it was really enjoyable and i might pick up the second of both of those and i for reasons still unbeknown to me still don't know why i did it uh i read the first trade of shutter while it was still here and it was a eh. All right. He had problems because it's called Shutter, and she's a photographer. Listen, she's holding a camera on the front of the book. It's called Shutter. They make it sound like this is some big, huge deal. She doesn't do a single thing with the camera in the entire first trade. And that was his problem. Doesn't doesn't do a thing with it. Uh, I thought the plot was kind of messy. Uh, the conceit of the fantasy world being part of our world, and they're you know talking foxes and lions and robots which, and shit running which around i loved because it was all from kids books there was the richard scary world was in there mm. um then there's also and i can never remember his name but he does all these alphabet books with animals and that's where the, all the animals come from i'm pretty sure i don't recall um but anyways i had one of the books when i was a kid it was one of my favorite things but that i mean there's been a that's the go-to move for anime in the last like two years like blood by k blood block k battlefront did this uh space patrol luluco does this which but is a kill a kill tie-in as we learned this not week. an anime it's a graphic novel yeah but if it doesn't do it as well as the anime i'm watching then sorry anyway do something with your camera uh and copperhead i have not read yet but maybe i will check that out as well, uh, finished my rewatch of Kill the Kill. That show's great. Fuck all y'all. <laughs> I finished the third season of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And? It was fantastic. It was good. I love that show because it makes me laugh out loud, and there are so few things that make me, like, heartily laugh out loud. Okay. I think that's it. I don't I think, think I have anything it. else. Looking at my rolly, it's about oh that God, time. Oh, my God, there's a blank page. No, I think we're good. Great. Well, that's the geek down. That's the geek down episode 16 you can listen to the show on soundcloud yep it's uh geek down podcast i think yes, yes. um so you can search it that way um the, it is also of course we talked about itunes yep is it also geek down podcast on itunes 
don't yeah. have iTunes, so I don't. Geek Down, Geek Down will be fine. Geek okay. Down will, will um, Some of these things are very particular, I've been finding out. Um, and you can subscribe, and as soon as new episodes are up, you will get it into your what, what do you have an itunes an inbox or something your feed your feed whatever um and then if you also wanted to contact us either email us about something or have questions or want us to watch something in particular um you can email us at geekdownpod at, i'm gonna do this geekdownpod at gmail.com yes excellent um and you can also hit us up on twitter that's Geek Down Pod also yep. on Twitter. And on Tumblr, we're Geek Down Podcast. Geekdownpod.tumblr.com. And, of course, Facebook. Facebook. Where if you put in Geek Down Podcast, we will come up. Yes. And you can check out all the posts we've been making and all the conversations that have been happening. And you can hit Jordan up on Twitter. Yell at me at Jordan underscore Ferguson. And you can yell at him about how wrong he is about, about Brazil. <laughs> and you can't contact or yell at me because I don't exist on the internet. No, she doesn't. Though, if you do message us on Facebook, I will respond. Yes. Jordan does not reply to any emails or rarely on the Facebook group, but if you want to get at Katie Mac, that's the way to go about it. Because I can get Jordan to screen it first. <laughs> if you're being an asshole. I don't have to see it. Yep. Got to protect myself. <laughs> that's really, really my, my role in life is protecting Caitlin from, from the internet. Yeah. All right. And I think that's the show. I believe that is the show. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. And we will be back with you again next week on Geek Dope. We'll see you then. realized i said cock a lot last week <laughs> and i forget that there are you did say cock a lot adults who listen to the podcast who i know <laughs> <laughs> they haven't said anything but i just like wow i say cock so much <laughs> so much cock <laughs>